Praise the Lord for this conference, the will of God. I believe, as so many brothers has testified, that this is really the speaking of the Lord to the recovery today. Now we come to this message, which is living a life according to the hearts, the God's heart and will. Living a life according to God's heart and will. I praise the Lord very much. Even as I was going through this outline, I praise the Lord that the Lord has revealed what is hidden throughout the ages, this eternal will of our God. But today he revealed it to the apostles. And this apostle, especially Paul, has revealed this to us. So today, as we come to the Word of God, we will see the will of God. We will touch this will of God so that we can be those that will live according to God's heart and God's will, living a life according to God's heart and will. Okay, before we go into the outlines, I would like to share with you one of the things that touched me very much regarding this message. And it is from this book called The Practical and Organic Building Up of the Church. The Practical and Organic Building Up of the Church. Okay, this you can find in the Collected Word of Witness Lee, 1989, Volume 1. And this was spoken by Brother Lee in the Bay Area in 1989. Okay, and here we want to really see what is the practical and organic building up of the church. Before I start, I want to read you uh, in uh, page 7 of this book, which is the start of this book. Broly shares something uh, that is actually talking about the burden for this entire outline. Okay, so he said, in this message, we would like to fellowship concerning the living of a life according to God's heart and will. The Old Testament contains a portrait of David, a man according to God's heart, who did the will of God and served his own generation according to the counsel of God. In the New Testament, God's heart and will is in his economy. It's revealed in the book of Ephesians, Hebrews, and Romans. Ephesians speaks of God's will, the counsel of God's will, God's good pleasure, the desire of God's heart, the mystery of God's will, and the dispensation of the mystery of God's will. God's will is something according to God's good pleasure. And this good pleasure was what he purposed, what he purposed. The good pleasure of God was purposed by God in himself. The good pleasure of God was purposed by God in himself. So this should give us uh, something to really get into. So I hope that uh, if you have a time, 
which maybe some of us has, we could actually get this book and dive into it. It was, it is a very wonderful book. Okay. So, Roman number one here says, The Old Testament contained a portrait of David, a man according to God's heart, who did the will of God and served his own generation by the counsel of God. It was David's heart to build a house for the name of Jehovah, the God of Israel. Today, God is blessing us in every way for the fulfillment of his economy to build up the body of Christ. Let me repeat that. God is blessing us. You know, God is preparing us in every way for the fulfillment of his economy to build up the body of Christ. So when we come to this Roman number, I hope we would see that even from the Old Testament, the will of God is there. And even in the Old Testament, David was prepared by God. And he did what is according to God's heart and to build up the house for the name of Jehovah. So the first thing we want to see is that David was prepared to live a life according to God's heart and God's will. And today when we see these types of Christ, which is David, may we all be touched that we too need to be prepared. Oh, we should pray to the Lord that he would make us the David of today so that we can live a life, not just to know the will of God, you know, not just to do the will of God, but actually to live a life that is according to God's heart and God's will. Acts 13.22 said it very well. He said that this son of Zerzee, David, is a man according to the heart of God, who will do his will. Okay, Acts 13.22 says that. And if you go to Acts 13.36, he said, Now David, having served his own generation by the counsel of God, did indeed, you know, he served his generation by the counsel of God. Okay? And when uh, you read First King 8.17, this is Solomon talking. He said, he said, It was on David's, my father's heart, to build a house for the name of Jehovah, the God of Israel. It was on David's, my father's heart. Okay, so it seems like many verses is talking about this. And if you go to First Chron- uh, Chronicle, First Chronicle twenty-two seven, he said, "This is David saying, it was on my heart to build a house for the name of Jehovah my God. It was on my heart." You know, so I hope that this matter of what David saw and what David did is also very much in our heart. Yes, David was prepared to live a life according to God's heart and God's will. And by belief, the Lord is speaking to us these days through his ministry, so many things. 
is so that he can prepare us to be those that would know God's heart and will do God's will. What the Lord is doing is to set our heart, even our entire being, so that we can be those that will live according to God's heart and God's will. Okay, the second thing is, it is not just good to know it. We must be brought into a kind of living. We want to live a life in, uh, in a divine romance with our Lord. Okay, we want to live a life fully in love with our Lord so that his will will become our will, uh, his heart will become our heart, and we would be those that would be living a life according to his heart and according to his will. So I hope that we would all follow the pattern of David. You know, we see how David wanted to bring the ark to Jerusalem. And if you look at, um, if you look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5.13, he said, Paul, when he saw this vision, he was actually beside himself. Now, if you come to David in 2 Samuel 6.14 and in 2 Samuel 6.16, you know, it tells us how David, you know, was leaping, was dancing because the ark has come to Jerusalem. You know, today, this should be our heart. You know, we should be beside ourselves, you know, in this matter of building up body of Christ. Okay, Roman number two say, you know, actually, from Roman number through three and four, we are going to see what is important for us to see today. We want to see God's great will. God's great will. We need to ask ourselves, what is God's great will? You know, as we go through the out, this outline, we just have to turn to the Lord, that the Lord would actually speak to us to show us what is his great will. Oh, praise the Lord. You know, so when we come to Roman number two, it says, God's great will in his New Testament economy. You know, God's good pleasure, the counsel of his will and his purpose are to have a body. What he wants is to have a body for the enlargement and expression of Christ, the embodiment of the process trying God. Okay, so what the Lord wants, what God wants is to first have a body, an embodiment. The first embodiment is in Christ. And then this embodiment has to be in his body, which is in us. We need to be the embodiment of the triune God. Okay? So, when we see this, we should see that this very Christ is God. You know, but when he came and was incarnated, he bring this God to men. But when he was resurrected, he bring us into God. This is how he built up his body for the enlargement and expression of, God, of Christ. Okay, A here says, The heavens are for the earth, 
The earth is for men, and men is for the producing of the church. And the church is the enlargement and the expresses and express trying God, the enlargement and expression of the process trying God. God's great will is to have a body composed of human beings who are regenerated, sanctified, renewed, and transformed into the image of the process trying God. Into the image of the process trying God. Okay, you know, when we read this, it is good for us to refer back to one of the speaking of Brother Lee. When he spoke in the perfecting training, if you want to look it back, it's on page 277 in chapter 23 of that book. You know, Brawley said something like this. He said the earth was produced, men was produced, and even thousands of items were produced. God worked in creation, and God has been working through all the generation, and God is still working. We do not know how long his working will last, but eventually, what will be the ultimate item that comes out of God's working? We have to see that it is the body. You have to be deeply impressed that what will ultimately come out of God's working through all the century and all the generation will be the body. Who is the head of the body? Christ is the head. What will come out is just the body. The body is the ultimate item of God's continual working. So the body is the top point of God's entire revelation. Let me repeat. The body is the top point of God's entire revelation. So you have to realize, I have to realize that not only has the matter been missed in Christianity, but even among us in the Lord's recovery, we could not see so much actuality of the body. If you go to the Christian bookstore and pick up different exposition on Romans, you will see that one may stress justification, another may go on and say something about sanctification. But it is hard for you to get one exposition on Romans that stresses the body adequately. Some exposition may have taught something concerning the government in chapter 13, but they have not said much concerning the body in chapter 12. Okay, so when we come to this matter, the first matter that we want to see is that it is God's will to have a body, the body of Christ. And then B here says, God's great will is also to have a church, to be the organic body of Christ for the manifestation of his multifarious wisdom. Okay, for his multifarious wisdom. Okay, if you go to Ephesians 3, 9, and if you go to Ephesians 3, 10, it talks about this. Let me read those two verses to you. 
3.9 says, And to enlighten all that they may see what the economy of the mystery is, which throughout the ages has been hidden in God who created all things, in order that now the rulers and the authorities in the heavenlies, the multifarious wisdom of God might be made known, might be made known through the church. Praise the Lord. When we come to this book of Ephesians, we need to know that this book, this book of Ephesians, has a particular characteristic. When he talks about God's will, he did not talk about in an earthly manner. You know, he's speaking from eternity. He's speaking from the heavenlies. You know, he's speaking from God's eternal purpose. Okay? And so when we come to Ephesians, this book of Ephesians, you will see that every chapter of the book of Ephesians actually unveils the mystery of God's will, the mystery of the body of Christ as the organism of the triune God. From a particular point of view, as I say, it's from the heavenly views. Okay, so if we go through all this different chapter, every chapter talk about the body of Christ. Okay, in Ephesians 1, it reveals that the body of Christ is the issue of the dispensing of the process trinity and the transmitting of the transcending Christ. So in these chapters, we see a lot of things. We see the Father choosing and predestinating. We see the sons redeeming and calling us, making us to be his possession. And then we see the Spirit sealing and pledging or dispensing of the entire triune God and the transmitting of the transcending Christ, causing us not to be just the beneficial beneficiaries of his dispensing, but also being formed into his body, the church. This body is the fullness of the one who fills all in all. This body is the expression of the vast Christ. You know, in, uh, if we go into verse 18, you will see that the eyes of our heart have been enlightened. May our eyes all be enlightened so that we may know what is the hope of our calling. This Christ, with his unlimited being, has been given to us so that we can have this unlimited hope into which we, God-chosen one has been called. We have been called into this unlimited hope. Okay? We have been called by the trying God into the trying God, into the vast territory of the trying God. So as his body, we have been brought into a practical experience of him so that we can live him, we can explore him. And we can also enjoy him. This is Ephesians 1. Ephesians 2 reveals that the body of Christ is the masterpiece of the triune God as the new man. It shows us that although we had this glorious preparation by the dispensing of the triune God, verse 1 of chapter 2 tells us that we were dead in offenses and sins. And verse 10 says, but because of his great love with which he loved us, we have been saved. We have been brought back to him 
later on in this chapter, we saw that our being saved result in our being his masterpiece, his poem, the one new man. This is the will of God revealed to us in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 3 reveals that the body of Christ is the fullness of the triune God by our being supplied by the riches of Christ and by Christ making his home in our hearts. So, praise the Lord for the prayer of Paul in Ephesians 3. He prayed that the Lord, that God would make us allow Christ to make his home in our hearts and to work all his riches into our very being. Oh, we need to be reminded. Again and again, we need to be reminded to turn to our Lord and to call on him. We need to pray to the Lord, Lord Jesus, we just cannot love you. We cannot follow you. We cannot live you. But you have now entered into our very being. You want to make your home in our heart. You want to be the life that could live out of us. So we need to pray for the mercy of the Lord, that the Lord will fill us with himself, so the Lord will take over our entire being, will occupy us, will spread himself within us. Oh, if we pray this again and again to the Lord, I believe we will all be strengthened into our inner man. We need to ask the Lord to spread into our inner being, which means into our mind, into our emotion, into our will. Through our spirit, he needs to spread into every room of our heart. Praise the Lord for our spirit. That is the unique room that was not touched by the evil one. But from this earth, from this room, we could actually or be brought from the earth to the heaven and bring heaven to earth. Or we can join earth to heaven and bring heaven to earth. So as we pray according to the apostles' prayer, this should bring us into a living contact with him. From our spirit, he needs to spread into all the rooms of our inner being, into all the rooms of our heart. We'll be, then we will be able to pursue with all the saints the dimension of his being. God's will is that we, through our contact with him, would let him make his home in our heart. We will be those who enjoy him as this unvisited, unlimited, unlimited Christ, so making us his embodiment. Okay, as we come to Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4 reveals that the body of Christ is the mingling of the process trying God with the regenerated believer, and that this one body is built up by the one ministry, okay? The result of this one ministry is that we will all be brought, you know, to hold him as the head, to grow up into him in all things, oh, the one who is our reality. Then out from him, he will supply all the members 
participate in the building up of the body of Christ, taking part in this ministry. Oh, as he spread into us, as he's ministered to us, we will be able to take part in this ministry, which builds up his body. Okay? So we need to focus ourselves on the mingling of the trying God with us, the tripartite man, by us holding to him as the reality of all things. Ephesians 5 reveals that the body of Christ is composed of the children of light to be the bride of Christ for the satisfaction of Christ. Composed of the children of light to be the bride of Christ for the satisfaction of Christ. So when we come to Ephesians 5, we should see these two crucial matter. The first one is that we are the children of light. And the second one is that we are being prepared to be the bride of Christ. The children of light will become the bride of Christ. Okay? When we say we are the children of life, we are talking about our walking in this light, in the love and light of our Lord. And this is to prepare us so that we can participate in the bride of Christ. Okay? Oh, we need to walk in this light. Okay, as we walk in his light, we are actually walking according to his heart and according to his will. Okay? So, oh, the Lord should bring us into this atmosphere full of love and full of life, full of the atmosphere of enjoying him in the sweetness of the shining light and into his embracing love. May we all be prepared to be his bride so that this will, his will, the body of Christ, would reach maturity, oh, the maturity of the bride. And then we can actually become the warrior in chapter 6. Chapter 6 reveals that the body of Christ is the corporate warrior of the trying God for the defeating of God's enemy. It is the body. It is the body. We must be the body to enable us to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the stratagems of the devil. Okay, so I hope we see from the book of Ephesians what Paul was concentrating is just this great will of God is to have the body of Christ. Okay, all this aspect of the body is part of the mystery of God's will. And praise the Lord, it was revealed in the book of Ephesians. Okay, and for us, the way for us to enter more and more into all this aspect is by being a person after our God's heart, loving him, contacting him, pursuing him, and seeking his will so that we can be the body of Christ. This is his will. Amen. 
Okay, as we go on in this outline, okay, we see that here D is saying, God has blended the body together. God has blended the body together. Oh, this is a wonderful word. In 1 Corinthians 12, 24, God has blended the body together. I believe this is in the Bible all the time, but many, very few, very few Christians actually see this. But praise the Lord, in the last seven years of Brother Lee's life, you know, he led us into such a blending. Oh, such a matter of blending. So here we see that the word blended also means adjusted, harmonized, tempered, and mingled. Okay? Now, if we go back, you know, to this practical point, to the book called Practical Point Concerning Blending, you know, there are something here that is actually very important for us to see. You know, practical point on blending. It's talking about the purpose of blending. So may I read from this book called The Practical Point on Blending, page 10. Here it says, the purpose of the blending is to usher us all into the reality of the body of Christ. Into the reality of the body of Christ. I treasure the local church, as you do. But I treasure the local church because of a purpose. The local churches are the procedure to bring us into the body of Christ. The churches are the body. But the churches may not have the reality of the body of Christ. Thus, we need to be in the local churches so that we can be ushered or brought into the reality of the body of Christ. This is what blending is all about, to bring us truly into the reality of the body of Christ. Yes, we know when we talk about blending, there are different levels of blending. We talk about saints need to be blended with saints. You know, churches need to be blended with church. You know, district with district. Elders with elders, co-workers with co-workers. All of us need to be blended together so that we can become that one loaf of bread that will defeat the enemy. One here says, in order to be blended in the body life, we have to go through the cross and by the Spirit, dispensing Christ to others for the sake of the body of Christ. Blending means that when we are about to do something, we always stop to fellowship with others. We need to stop to fellowship with others because we need to understand we by ourselves cannot do it. We need the body. We need the blending. And three here says, the blending is for the building up of the universal body of Christ to consummate the new Jerusalem as the final goal of God's economy according to his good pleasure. According to his good pleasure. Oh, God is blending us together to be the one body. And this church that we are talking about, 
if you come to Ephesians 1.23, says, this church is his body, the fullness of the one who feels all in all. So, brothers and sisters, as we live in this church life, as we live our Christian life, we should always pray the prayer of Solomon, that the Lord would give us wisdom, the Lord would give us understanding, so we would actually know how to go in and out among his people. Okay, let's come to um, Roman number three. You know, this is the second definition of what God's great will is. It says here, God, God's great will is to have Christ as the replacement of all these sacrifices and offering in the Old Testament so that we may enjoy him as our all in all. You know, when we talk about sacrifices and offering, actually, this is everything in the Old Testament. The whole Old Testament is talking about sacrifices and offering. So when we talk about the great will of God is to have Christ to replace the sacrifices and offering in the Old Testament. It is telling us that Christ should replace everything else. Christ should be everything. Okay, so that we may enjoy him as our all in all. We need to see, like in Hebrew, this very Christ came to replace all sacrifice and offerings. And in Hebrew 10.5, we see that this Christ, he came into the Word, and he says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, the Lord did not desire that, but a body you have prepared for me. God has prepared a body for Christ so that this Christ could die for us on the cross to replace all the sacrifices and offering. And in Hebrew 10, 9, it says, and this is the Lord saying, I have come to do will, to do your will. I have come to do your will. He takes away the first, and that he may establish the second. The first is the Old Testament. The second is the New Testament. The first are those sacrifices and offerings. The second is Christ. Christ replaced all those offerings. You know, here in the references, we see some of the verses from Psalm 40. Psalm 40. You know, when Brawley talks about these three verses here, he said one of the greatest revelation of the all-inclusive Christ in the commission that God has committed Christ in his first coming through incarnation is actually revealed in these three verses. You know, this is the greatest revelation of the all-inclusive Christ that came down, was incarnated to do all this for us. So maybe I should read these verses. Verse 6 says, You do not delight in sacrifice and offering. You have prepared ears for me. You do not require burnt offering and sin offering. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written concerning me. 
I delight in doing your will. Oh my God, I delight in, do, in doing your will. I delight in doing your will. You know, so as we see this, you know, this very Christ came to replace all the sacrifices and offering so that he can redeem us, so that he can deal with all the negative things, okay, with his life. And he can impart into us himself as life and us the consummated and processed spirit. He can come into us. Today we can enjoy him because he is very much in us. We can enjoy him and he will meet all our needs. Okay, A here says, as unique sacrifice of the new covenant, Christ is the factor that enacts God's producing and building up of the church as his organic body, which will consummate in the new Jerusalem. Okay, Matthew 26, 28 says, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is being poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. And be here say, Christ replacing of all the Old Testament offering, taking away all the Old Testament types, and establishing himself as everything to us. This is God's great will. Hence, Christ has changed the age for the consummating of God's new creation out of God's old creation. He's changing the age is greater. Now listen, he's changing the age is greater than the creation of the universe mentioned in Genesis 1. Okay. One here says, the Old, the Old Testament predicted in Isaiah 53 that Christ would come to be the sacrifice for sin in order to replace and terminate the Levitical sacrifices. God prepared a body for Christ so that he could offer himself to God to replace all the offerings. Okay, you know, I love this, some of these verses in Isaiah 53. Like in verse 6, it says, Jehovah has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, to fall on Christ. He bore our sins. And in Isaiah 53, verse 12, you say, He alone bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressor. All these verses are just wonderful. Two here say, Christ took away the first, the sacrifice of the old covenant, that he might establish himself as the second, the sacrifice of the new covenant. A here say, as the second, Christ is everything. As the second, Christ is everything. The old is taken away, is replaced so that he can establish the second, which is everything. And be he say, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of Christ's body once for all. It's once for all. It doesn't have to be repeated. <laughs> once for all. 
so that we may enjoy and partake of him as our everything. Praise the Lord. He's God and he's man. Because he's God, this sacrifice is eternal. It's once and for all. And see here, said, Christ is the reality of the offering so that we may worship God in spirit and truthfulness. In spirit and truthfulness. So what are we saying when we say truthfulness? This truthfulness that we are saying is the divine reality become, becoming our genuineness and sincerity for the true worship of God. Okay, this is the truthfulness. This is the reality. You know, I was touched very much by these two verses. Even when I was younger, when I touched these two verses, you know, in John 4, I was just a changed person. Because here it says, For an hour is coming, and it is now, when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truthfulness. For the Father also seeks such to worship him. We must pray, Lord, make us the true worshiper. And in 24, say, God is spirit. And those who worship him, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truthfulness. In spirit and in truthfulness. Here the Lord was talking to this immoral woman. You know, this immoral woman doesn't know how to worship God. But praise the Lord, through the speaking of our Lord, we know now to worship him is to worship him in spirit and in reality. Because as we come to this, we are seeing that Christ is the reality of all the offerings. In the Old Testament, there are some, you know, major offerings, but there are also three other minor offerings. So if we go through these offerings, we would see how Christ can replace all this offering. One here says the burnt offering, which was holy for God, satisfaction, typified Christ as God's pleasure and satisfaction. The one who's living on earth was absolutely for God. You know, he is the one that is absolutely for God. You know, we are not absolute, but he is absolute. Today, we need to take Christ as our burnt offering. We must apply Christ as this burnt offering, forsake all other things, okay, that could occupy us, so that we would be those that we be absolutely one with him, taking Christ as our all, okay, making him as the preeminent one, okay. We need to give ourselves fully to this absolute one so that we can have this satisfying fragrance to the Lord. Amen. Okay, here too says, the meal offering typify Christ in his perfect humanity as food for God and for man. Oh, in his perfect humanity. Okay, in his perfect humanity. We all know that this very Christ that we touch 
is a complete God and a perfect man. And through our fellowship with him, we can actually serve him. Through our fellowship with him, we can become, you know, just like him, the meal offering. This meal offering, if you see, you know, from, uh, from the Old Testament, it's made of fine flour with oil and frankincense. Fine flour is the fine humanity. With oil, it's added with the Holy Spirit, and frankincense is typifying his resurrection life. This is the meal offering that will satisfy God and man. May we take Christ. Christ is the reality of this meal offering. May we apply him to our living so that our living would be a God-man living to satisfy God and man. Okay, this Christ is also the peace offering. The peace offering typified Christ as the peacemaker, the one who became peace and the fellowship between us and God, became the peace and the fellowship between us and God by dying for us, enabling us to enjoy Christ with God and to fellowship with God in Christ for our mutual satisfaction with God. This Christ is our peace offering. Like in Ephesians 2.14, he said, For he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. And Ephesians 2.15 say, Abolishing in his place the law of the commandment in ordinances, that he might create the two in himself into one new man, so making peace. He is the peacemaker. After the resurrection of the Lord, when he appeared to all those disciples in that upper room, you know, the Lord told him, peace be with you. When Christ comes, peace comes. Oh, praise the Lord. You know, as we are looking into this, you know, it is good for us to understand. One of the most basic offering is the burnt offering. Because by this offering, if we could take Christ as the burnt offering, we can also become his meal offering. Okay, so you can see that all the offerings that we are talking about is actually related to the burnt offering. Okay, the result of our taking Christ as our burnt offering to even taking Christ as our meal offering, we will have a result. This result will be the peace offering. Okay, this is the result of the burnt offering. Okay, so that we can be the, burn, uh, the peace offering offer up upon the burnt offering. Okay, and then four, he says, the sin offering typified Christ as the one who was made sin for us and who died on the cross to deal with the sinful nature of our fallen being, to deal with the sinful nature of our fallen being. Okay? Yes. You know, some of these verses are just wonderful. Like Second Corinthians 5.21, it says that uh, he did not know sin, but he made sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him, that we might become the righteousness of God in him.
Okay. And then he came in the likeness of the flesh of sin, concerning sin, so that he can condemn sin in his flesh. Okay. And John the Baptist saw the Lord. And right away he saw that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay. So by being the sin offering, he's dealing with our sinful nature. But when we come to five, it talks about the trespass offering, typify Christ as the one who bore our sin in his own body and was judged by God on the cross to deal with all the sinful deeds that we might be forgiven in our sinful conduct, that we might be uh, forgiven in our sinful conduct. So that is the trespass offering. So he did not just deal with our sinful nature, he also deal with our sinful deeds. Then we have the wave offering, to find Christ as the resurrected one in love. He is the resurrected one. He is living and he is waving. That's why this offering is called the wave offering. And then he is also the heave offering. The heave offering typifies the powerful Christ in ascension and in exaltation. And also we see that he's the drink offering, offering Christ as the one poured out as wine before God for his satisfaction and also as one who saturate us with himself as heavenly wine to be poured out for God's enjoyment and satisfaction. Okay, he is also the drink offering. All right. You know, you know, brothers, maybe we could see it this way. You know, he says, as we enjoy Christ as a replacement of this five basic offering, which is the burnt offering, the meal offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. If we enjoy Christ in such a way, such enjoyment of Christ will bring us into a practical living with Christ as everything to us in every circumstances and situation. Okay? So we need to enjoy all these five basic offerings. Take Christ as this basic offering. And if we actually do this, you know, the Lord will bring us into his resurrection as the wave offering. The Lord will also bring us into his ascension as the heave offering and as the drink offering. The very wine which can be poured out on our sacrifice for God's satisfaction. Christ himself experienced by us will become the wine we can pour out for God's satisfaction. Christ himself will satisfy God. He needs to become our experience. He needs to become our living so that we can pour out this Christ for God's satisfaction. Amen. So D here says, we need to live a life according to God's heart and will by daily enjoying. Yes, by daily enjoying. You know, started from the morning when we wake up, 
right away, we want to tell the Lord, Lord Jesus, we love you. Okay, by our daily enjoyment, daily enjoyment of Christ as the reality of all the offerings for the divine goal of the triune God. Our enjoyment is for a goal, for the divine goal of the triune God, which is to bring us all into himself, that we may take him as our dwelling place and allow him to take us as his dwelling place for his universal, enlarged, divine, human incorporation. Okay, praise the Lord. You know, when we see this tabernacle in Exodus, then we go on to Leviticus, we see all the offerings. You know, actually these two things are very much connected. Where Christ as the tabernacle is to bring God to man. He tabernacle among us. This is in John 1.14, right? So he is the tabernacle. He wants to tabernacle. He was incarnated for us to bring God to men. But in Leviticus, when we see these offerings, we need to see when we take Christ as our offering, we would bring men to God. We will bring men to God. Oh, what a wonderful revelation. Okay, let's go to Roman number four. God's great will is to have the believers in Christ practice the body life. Practice the body life. That is to have a living of the body of Christ. To have a living of the body of Christ. Okay. You know, when we talk about the body life, you know, we, we must see that to have such a practice of the body life, we must be living a life of the highest virtues. Okay, today we need to understand this body life is a life of the highest virtues. Okay, we can see this in the perfecting training, you know, chapter 23, verse, uh, you know, in those verses there, you know. Okay, so praise the Lord. In this portion of the outline, we come to the book of Romans. We come to the book of Romans. But let me read you uh, from this Perfecting Training, chapter 23, pages 276. Here, brother, he asks a question. He asks a very important question. He said, what is the top revelation in the Holy Word? We know that the Bible has 66 books and that they were written over a period of at least 1,600 years. These 66 books cover a lot of things, from eternity past to the eternity future. They cover creation, salvation, and many other things. Bible students and Bible teachers have ticked up a lot of subjects from the Bible. But we all have to see that the body is the top point among all the thousands of words in the Bible, the body should stand out to us. The body should stand out to us. The biggest word in the Bible is the body. The biggest word in the Bible is the body. Okay. Roman and A here says under Roman 4, 
A.U. says, we are one body in Christ, having an organic union with him. This union makes us one in life with him and with the other members of the body. It is not just two things put together. This is an organic union, an organic union. In Romans 12, you know, when we come to this chapter in Romans, Romans 12 says, For just as in one body we have many members, and all the members do not have the same function. In verse 5 says, So we who are many are one body in Christ. We are one body in Christ. Okay, we are one body because of this organic union. One here says, two words from Romans 12.5 indicates the organic union. In Christ, in Christ, is telling us that we have this organic union with Christ. In Christ always implies the thought or the fact that we are organically one with Christ. Praise the Lord, we are organically united with Christ. Okay. And two here says, the actuality of the body is the remaining in the organic union. Oh, we want to have this actual body life. The actuality of the body is the remaining in the organic union with Christ. This is why John 15 charges us to abide in him. To abide in him simply means to remain in the organic union. When we go to verses in John 15, when the Lord said, abide in me, that means, you know, we move ourselves into this Christ. We abide in him. This becomes our home. We are now in him. So this is not just talking about a, uh, or occasional visit to a motel. This is actually to enter into Christ and to be one with Christ. Oh, we need to really take Christ as our all. Take Christ as the replacement of all the offering. Why do we do that? So that we can remain. We can remain in this organic union with Christ. And we want to be kept by him. We want to be sustained by him. We want to remain in him so that we can live a life in the reality of the body of Christ. You know, when we talk about all this, may we check ourselves from time to time how much of our time is actually in this reality of the body of Christ. Perhaps we would see you know, we are actually mainly in our natural life and not in this body life. So I just hope that we would pray that the Lord would bring us into this reality of the body of Christ. And B here says, for the church life, the life of the body of Christ, to be realized, our entire being is needed, a presented body, a transformed soul and a burning spirit are indispensable to a proper church life. A presented body, that is in 12.1. A transformed soul, oh, and a burning spirit. These are all indispensable. 
So one here says, we need to present our bodies as a living sacrifice for the church life. And it is quite something, you know. In Romans 12, 1, it says, I exalt you therefore, brothers, through the compassion of God, to present your bodies, plural, a living sacrifice, singular, holy, well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. So, we see that bodies here in 12, 1 is plural, but sacrifice is singular. This indicates that although many bodies are presented, they become one sacrifice, implying that although we are many, our service in the body of Christ should not be many individual services, separated and unrelated. Our service should be constitute one whole service. And this service must be unique because it is the service of the one body of Christ. After presenting our body, we need to have our mind renewed. Now in 12.2 it says, Do not be fashioned according to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. But be transformed by the renewing of the mind. You know, for this, you know, God has given us grace, given us this enjoyment of Christ himself, you know, so that we can be transformed. Okay, A here says, the renewing of the mind, which results from setting the mind on the spirit, is the base of the transformation of our soul. Our mind is the leading part of our soul. And as it is renewed, our will, emotion, automatically follow to be renewed also. Or to be renewed also. You know, when Paul was talking about our mind having to be renewed, Right away, following verse 2, there's verse 3, which is, and it says, and he said, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to be sober-minded, as God has apportioned to each one a measure of faith. You know, our mind needs to be renewed. Our mind needs to be renewed so that we can be transformed. To be renewed means that a new element is wrought into our being. This produces an inward metabolic transformation, making us suitable for the building up of the body of Christ, which is the practice of the church life, which is the practice of the church life. Building up the body of Christ is the practice of the church life. And three, he said, we must be burning in spirit that we may be stirred up and encouraged to go on in the church life in a positive way. Date, vent, knowledge, and doctrinal forms can make us degraded and lukewarm. We need to repent. Oh, we need to repent of our lukewarmness and be zealous, boiling, burning, that we may regain the enjoyment of the reality of Christ. We must ask the Lord to, so that we can be burning in spirit, so that we can serve the Lord. Okay? And see here it says, when Christ's grace comes into us, this grace brings with it the element of certain skills and ability which accompany our growth in life, develop into the gifts in life that we may function in the body of Christ to serve God. 
an element has been added into us as we enjoy Christ. Indeed, here says verse 9 to 21, you know, it's actually showing us that as normal Christian life, that is the necessary base for the practice of the church life. Okay, let me read this again. Verses 9 through 21 shows that the normal Christian life that is necessary based for the practice of the church life and that matches the church life. This is a life of the highest virtues for the body life. We can have such a living for the body life only by reigning in life. Only by reigning in life. And this is spoken by Brother Paul in Romans 5.17. For if by the offense of the one that reign through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Okay, what is grace? Grace is simply God in Christ as our enjoyment. We need the enjoyment of this abundance grace. We need to enjoy him as the gift of righteousness. And because of this, we can actually reign in life. Okay, this is the highest virtue in the body life, that we would actually reign in life. Okay, reign in life. So, E here says, God's complete salvation. God's complete salvation is for us to reign in life by the abundance of grace. God himself as our all-sufficient supply for our organic salvation. And of the gift of righteousness, God's judicial redemption applied to us in a practical way. When we are all reigning in life, living under the ruling of the divine life, the issue is the real and practical body life. Let me read this portion again. See, God completes salvation. You know, it's for us to reign in life. God's complete salvation is to bring us all the way so that we can reign in life. How do we do that? It's by the abundance grace. And what is this abundant grace? Is God himself as our all-sufficient supply for our organic salvation. And also by the gift of righteousness. What is this gift of righteousness? It's God's judicial redemption applied to us in a practical way. So when we talk about God's complete salvation, it includes the organic salvation, and it also includes the judicial redemption. When we are all reigning in life, living under the ruling of this divine life, the issue is the real and practical body life. The real issue, the, the real issue is the real and practical body life. Okay, before we end this, let me go back to this book. This book, The Practical and Organic Building Up of the Church. In the chapter one of this book, it brings us, you know, to the final paragraph of this book. You know, it is good for us to get into this. You know. Okay, in this final paragraph. It says something like this. Imagine we come to this book on the practical and organic building up of the church. Chapter 1 is entitled, Living a Life 
according to God's heart and will. In page 13, it says this, We do not need to waste our time by concentrating on minor matters related to our personal life. We should simply live in the church life. In the church life, we should go to disciple the nations, to visit people, to get them saved. We should not concentrate on the minor things in our daily life. Instead, we should go to get people saved. Following this, we need to go to have home meetings to nourish young babies. Then we must continue to go and bring all these nourished young Christians together to form a group so that they may do the same thing as we do. Then we can learn to prophesy. From the verses that we pray read, you know, in the morning, you know, every morning we should pray read the Word of God. And from those verses that we pray read, we can compose a prophecy for the Lord's Day morning meeting. We all need to enter into the practical church life living a life according to God's heart and will. So, saints, I really pray that the Lord will speak to us so that we would go further in our relationship with the Lord. We do not just want to know the will of God. And we do not just want to do the will of God. We want to become a people, a corporate people, this is living a life according to God's heart and God's will. So may the Lord have mercy on us. Amen.